0: Here we are, well into the retreat now, where we've developed uh, quite a bit of familiarity with uh, concentration, with collecting and unifying the mind. It is an experience, it is a relationship that we're getting to witness its unfolding. So we're both participating in the unfolding and witnessing our relationship to concentration. We're definitely not controlling it, as you may well have noticed by now. So we want to honor this unfolding in this way. We want to uh, have a kind of respect for our practice as a, a, a participatory observance, with a kind of reverence because something Larger than our ego minds is going on. This is a poem by Carl Dennis, and this is just an excerpt from it, and it's called Unfolding. If there is no spirit unfolding itself in history, no gradual growth of consciousness beneath the land grabs and forced migrations, the bald elections, the material of trust by party faction in the name of progress. What about spirit in the personal realm unfolding slowly inside us, so slowly that our best days seem like a holding action? Seasons repeat themselves, but the tree shading the yard keeps growing. So it is with our own experience with collecting and unifying the mind. It's unfolding so slowly that we can easily feel as though we're in a holding action or at times that we've regressed, right? But it's just so. Seasons repeat themselves. All of the hindrances of minds repeat themselves. But the tree shading the yard keeps growing. There is a continual unfolding that is going on. So tonight I would like us to reflect and explore how intention, our cultivated intention, and energy are helping us participate in the unfolding of our relationship with samadhi. How intention and energy, when cultivated, can participate, help us participate in the unfolding of our samadhi, of our concentration. When I use the word intention, which is samasamkapa, the second of the eightfold path as outlined in the Buddha's Four Noble Truths, I am referring to immediacy of intention. So reading the suttas as when the Buddha speaks of intention, it's intention right now. It is the second of the eightfold path. Right understanding or wise understanding is the first of the eightfold path. And out of wise understanding, we would have goals, like goals to be more mindful, to be more present, goals of of, uh, being able to live the precepts and so forth. Goals would come out of right understanding. But goals, as we will see, uh, can have a little... uh, way of not being so immediate. You know, we, we know that for ourselves. We've had a lot of goals, but we, in our immediate actions, we do the exactly opposite of what would help us reach those goals. So there's a little iffiness around our goals. Whereas, coming out of right understanding, the, uh, the intention, this wise intention, right intention, is immediate. It's in this step. So in that regard, the intention is our values, how we want to meet the moment in just this moment, this moment, as we're going towards our goals. So you're walking up the mountain, and you're taking your friend with you, and you want to show your friend the view from the top of Mount Tam as the sun's setting into the ocean. Wholesome goal but it's such a small part of the journey, right? The journey is every step on that trip up the mountain, the hike up the mountain, and every step back down. Intention is each of those steps. In this moment, step, we're either uh, uh, meeting our intention or not meeting our intention of how we wish to live. So goals tell us the direction, how to allocate our time and our resources, but intentions from which we live each moment towards our goals, each step, each action, each word towards our goals. So this immediacy of intention, that's so powerful. Another poem, this is by the poet David White, it's called Enough. Enough. These few words are enough. If not these words, this breath. If not this breath, this sitting here, this opening to the life we have refused again and again until now. Until now. This opening to the life we have refused again and again until now. Until now. This immediacy, the nowness, the the sacred nowness, the immediacy, the present moment, presence. Our relationship to the development of a collected and unified mind has this flavor of immediacy when we practice our sitting and our walking. Although it's easy to forget that. We've got this goal of a collected and unified mind, but we are not always remembering, mindful of our intention in this moment to develop this immediacy of relationship to the breath, just right now, just this moment, just this inhale, just this exhale. And as we explore this, you will see that one way of working with developing a more collected and unified mind is by developing a a stronger contact to your intention in this moment to be with the breath. It can be very useful in this way. The thing about connecting in this moment to our intention to be with the breath is that it gets the support of all that we learn about intention. So when the Buddha taught about intention, he, he used many different uh, lessons at various times. But the three intentions that he most commonly used was the in- the intent of kindness, loving-kindness, the intent of non-harming. Those make sense as basic intentions. So here you are walking up the mountain. You don't want to do something that's going cause, cause your friend to get hurt. You want to be attending to your friend with kindness. So you don't want to be ignoring your friend because maybe getting up to the top of the mountain isn't what's most important to your friend. Maybe something has happened and they really want to tell you about it. And so that attending to the moment in that way, the immediacy of your intention to be kind, to not cause harm so you wouldn't take them some way that was too hard for them. And anyway, you may get up to the top of the mountain and it's all fogged in, so there is no view. Or you get up there, and a bunch of frat boys are having a keg party, and it's not such a great experience. But the journey can be quite rich, and so it is with our breath. So it is with our breath. It can be quite rich as we're aligning with our intention, aligning intention and goals towards this knowing the breath, but knowing the breath right now, knowing it right now. It provides an, an orientation Moment to moment, that uh, the goals can get a little foggy as I keep pointing out in various ways. So the practical consequences of this is that the mind becomes centered, centered, collected, collected, centered on what your goal, what your intent is right now. Your immediacy of intent. It's it's right now. So. Uh, you're not. You don't get lost in your disappointment that the mind is is not staying with the breath in the same way, because it's hard to stay with the breath as you have seen. So it moves around you when you're in the, in the when you're oriented to this moment and this moment and this moment and this moment. There is there's not there's not the kind of hurrying that. Uh, that can happen that is so confusing to us. Another poem. This is by Garaku. Even when pursued, a butterfly in its fluttery flight does not seem especially hurried. Even when pursued, A butterfly in its fluttery flight does not seem especially hurried. The butterfly is just being in this moment, in this moment, in this moment. So we can be moment to moment with our practice of connecting and sustaining to the breath. We can be butterflies just this moment just this moment, no hurry, no pushing towards that end result, no grasping, therefore no disappointment, no frustration, no irritation, no restlessness, no self-judging, no comparing, no looking for all the reasons, no reconsidering whether or not you should be here. (laughs) No, you're just here. You're just a butterfly. You're just in this moment connecting to the breath. And in doing that, as I said in my first talk, you're doing something profound in that you are placing and sustaining attention by choice, not by stimulation. You're living from values. You're living from your intention. I intend to be with my breath. There's no particular reward at this moment for being with my breath. I intend to be with my breath. I'm not being stimulated by, you know, getting the paper written or uh, getting uh, the the, uh, shipment out the door or getting the kids lunch packed. No, it's just my choice because I'm cultivating some capacity that is innate within me. Very profound in that way. When we start to... uh, live in in this way in our practice with intention, uh, there's something that can develop in your practice which I, in listening to you in interviews, think in a number of instances has already developed. You are actually getting more of a collected and unified mind that you sometimes recognize. So to give you an example, from uh, myself the other morning. I was sitting here with you and my mind had its own degree of scatteredness. But I was doing exactly the practice that I'd suggested that you do. And I was very aware that I did not have this immediately dropping in. Because sometimes I do. just. That's one of the fortunate things about my practice that's always been there. I can just drop in. So I can just say, oh, be with the breath, fine. and There I am. Not perfectly, but there's an ease to it without a lot of extra effort. But sometimes not. Sometimes not. That particular sit wasn't that way. So then, what was I doing? I could hang out and see if it would happen, right? Maybe it would, because oftentimes it will. If you just hang around, you know, it's like you stumble into it, right? You've done the stumble-in practice, right? It's one way to go. Nothing wrong with that. But another way to go is to remind yourself, what is my intention in this moment? I intend to be with the breath in this moment. And this is where renunciation comes in, because, of course, a hundred things will come up, including all your disappointment, frustration, irritation with not being with the breath. The renunciation is you renounce the interest in those things. You you have renounced being seduced by your desire to have it be other than it is in this moment. You have renounced your aversion to the, the way it is. You're just you're just cultivating this intention to be in this moment with the breath. So there I was. I was bringing my attention to the intention to be with the breath. So I was connecting through intention to the breath because I didn't have this immediate direct access with ease. Are you following me, that difference? There's an extra uh, degree of, of, of will, determination, whatever it you would like in that. So there I am. I'm connecting with this intention. Now, I could always connect to that, even though my mind would go off in terms of what was actually happening. I would lose the connection to the breath. But I was building and building and building this intention so that my mind was more and more accepting that this was what I was doing. Because when it started out, it wasn't accepting my in- intention at all, it, right? It was just a regular old mind moving around. But after about 20 minutes, there was a sense of like going over a hump, having climbed a hill or gotten up upstairs, or something. There's some, sort of, there's some sort of effort has been made. And at the end of that efforting, The sense was that I was with my intention to be with the breath. I felt that as the mind's stillness. The mind was still in its intention. Although the breath, the contact with the breath, was coming and going somewhat still, but the intention was not coming and going. I really knew I was one with what I was trying to do. I wasn't split. I was collected. but. At that point, I had not dropped into that unification with the breath. So the intention is what allowed me to collect the mind, and I felt that quality of the mind being willing to stay present for what was going on, for it to, to stay present. It, was, it, was not, it wasn't uh, disturbed by the, the, the movement of, of the mind, of the attention away from the breath, because it was just focused on what it was focused on, which was being with this moment of breath. That is such a, for me at least, a very uh, wholesome state in itself. It is somewhat related, I'm not making a direct parallel here, but it is related to what we term access concentration or neighborhood concentration. The mind is has reached a degree of, n- of being sheltered from the hindrances. That makes sense to you, because now' it 's lined up where it 's going to go it 's lined up there, it knows what it 's doing it 's accepted it 's surrendered as opposed to accomplishing it's surrendered to this experience it 's aligned itself, and so this is uh, uh, this kind of touching intention in this way can be uh, very useful, and one of the one of the qualities that arises at this is the feeling of stillness. And the reason I'm bringing this up is that as I listen to you speak in the interviews, I hear you reporting a stillness of your mind at times that you are not directly reporting. And so I'm saying all of this uh, for you to explore for yourself that maybe, in fact, you're lining up with your intention to be with the breath pretty good at times. There is something occurring there. There is, uh, there is, uh, propitious conditions have developed. You have a degree of collectedness in your mind that you may not be noticing because it's not so constant with the breath. But, you, but your intent on being constant with the breath. Do you see the distinction? So your, your intent, you have, you have collected yourself in a certain way if you fail to notice that, it's far more easy to get distracted, to uh, not trust yourself. If you notice this feeling of, of collectiveness, oh yeah, my, there is a stillness. I am, really, I am really here doing what my practice. The, the mind has aligned itself with my practice. It's aligned itself with its intent. And, oh, yes, there is a kind of, of pliability, flexibility. The mind has got a feeling of cooperativeness that can be encouraging. There's a pleasantness to it. There's a well-being to it. It can be small and modest. But that's part of the, the, the particularly the sukha, but somewhat the piti. But uh, there's, there's a lot of sukha in that feeling of the collectedness of mind. That's why we enjoy doing things where we concentrate. Because the, the very sense of concentration in activities like rock climbing or uh, even like hitting a tennis ball or doing an in- intricate dance or sewing something that's really a pattern or being an artist when you're really... There's there's a sukha feeling in that collectedness in that way, even if, even if all that uh, oneness has not occurred. And the same is true in meditation. So that stillness of the intent can be explored. And maybe it won't... Be something that resonates with you. That I don't know. we are giving you many different ways of relating to this breath. This is simply one more, the stillness in mind. So what is the stillness? You might notice it as stillness in the body, that there is an innate stillness in the body even if at times you need to move or you find yourself moving you're actually residing physically in a kind of still body. Again, this is often overlooked. You don't notice the stillness in the body and therefore don't get reinforced in having more stillness in the body. You can do this for even just a few minutes of asking your body to be still and then notice what it feels like for the body to be still because you're intending it to be still. But in this relaxed way, it's not this rigid frozen in stillness. No, it's this embodied feeling living in the body in stillness very pleasant feeling for that lots of sukha in that stillness and body likewise you can notice the stillness that comes in intent oh yeah i really am intending my there's some stillness there there's something here that's not moving even though what's the focus of what's coming i'm not really dropped in but boy, this there's a stillness in my intent. I keep coming back to it effortlessly. Wow, it's there. I may even forget for a minute, but when I come back, it's already there, waiting for me. That stillness in mind in this way. Just open and see if this is true for you in any way. No downside. And likewise, there can be a there can be a stillness then with the object where you and the and the breath become one and you are dropped in, that feeling of dropped in. Many of you have reported having moments of that dropped in feeling that has lasted from just a couple of minutes to uh, quite some time. And so that's that dropped in stillness. And as came up in one of the questions this morning and as Sally was referring to last night in her talk, we can have a kind of uh, fear, about stillness. It, it can make us uh, uh, nervous. This, uh, I referred to it the very first talk about how we can be afraid of our own capacity. Uh, as, uh, this, uh, the other day in the exhale someone was talking about feeling a kind of fear on the exhale that there was a sense of losing control or not knowing where you were going to land and so forth. That's dropping in. As you're dropping in, as you're getting that stillness, it can it can make you a little nervous. Uh, and many different levels of it, as I say, because as we come into the stillness and we start to ha- realize there is a choice as to how we're relating to experience, that we actually do have choice in relating to experience, some of the implications of that would make us squirm, would make us... Uncomfortable, but we would not have any conscious awareness of it. But the old ego that's looking out for itself, trying to take care of us in some way, it's aware of it in some way. It gets, it's got that antenna way out there taking in signals, so it can be, it can be uh, natural come up. That's where we connect the intent again. No, I intend to be here. The consequences be what they are. I intend to be here with this breath, to let my mind become collected and unified. This is a kind of a inspiration quote for you from, of all people, Steve Jobs. This was his uh, commencement address in 2005 when he uh, first, uh, he he knew at this point that, Yeah, he had the cancer. Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, These things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Remembering that you're going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. Remembering that you're going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You are already naked. There's no reason not to follow your heart. There's no reason not to follow your heart. You're engaged in something larger here. Being with the breath is just a skillful means to engage in that something larger. It involves your heart. Each of us is going to die. We are already naked. Why would we not? This reflection is connecting us to that intent, that intent that leads to the stillness of intention towards our object, which then maybe we drop into the stillness with the object or not. Why are we afraid of results? No matter what results we achieve, we're still going to die. So why are we so afraid? Why do we make it all about results? This is the shadow side of goals, is that we get lost in the results and we don't try in the moment. We're wanting guarantees. We're afraid we're not going to make it. We're afraid we are going to make it. Oh, no, just this moment with my, my intention. That fear, that fear can come up in uh, so many ways. Some of you have reported difficulty of memory, difficulty of some current situation in your life that keeps taking you over some worry about a future. All of us have had all of that same range of experience. We've been afraid about the past, the present, and the future. And yet, as we learn to be more present, we can learn to let those come and go on their own. Sally's beautiful four A's last night, right, of... of as, as, we, as, as we come in where we can just ac- accept and let it pass through us or we can, uh, we can avoid that difficult mind state that's, uh, that's coming or we can abandon it if it's there that's pulling us away from the breath or we can attend to it if we have to. We turn in and are mindful of it as we've asked some of you to do with various things that you're having to deal with. This is a poem by Wendell Berry. I go among trees and sit still. All my stirring becomes quiet, around me like circles on water. My tasks lie in their places where I left them, asleep like cattle. Then what is afraid of me comes and lives a while in my sight. Repeating, then what is afraid of me comes and lives a while in my sight. What it fears in me leaves it, it sings. And I hear its song. Then what I am afraid of comes. I live for a while in its sight. What I fear in it leaves it. And the fear of it leaves me. It sings. And I hear its song. After days of labor. Mute in my consternations. I hear my song at last. And I sing it. And we sing. The day turns the trees move. There is so much stillness in this room. As we sit in the stillness, we don't usually have to do that fourth A of attending. The very shelter of the mind-heart that we're establishing in this concentration practice is protecting us. And there is a kind of purification that is happening in this moment of our having let loose of having to attend in this moment, not getting seduced by the, through the aversion, the fear, or the, the greed. And so, so we, can, we can be with, and we learn that we can be with by choice. We develop a kind of equanimity through the concentration, concentration practice that will so serve us in our mindfulness practice. So service in our daily life, we can just drop in. So you can be in a very difficult situation, and say, "What is my intention? I don't know if I can accomplish my goal here in this meeting, in my conversation with my boss, in my conversation with my uh, my partner." But I can know my intention and how I in- interact. Here I am alone at night for. We're doing whatever. Maybe sitting, maybe not sitting. What is my intention in living this moment? There's a room. There's enough equanimity because we've developed this ability to collect and bring the mind to being available to what our intention is in that moment. This is very practical, but very profound for our lives. So, it takes a lot of energy. To do this practice. Has anyone in the room not noticed that? The energy is necessary for the aiming, it's necessary for sustaining. It's necessary for uh, aiming and sustaining on the breath. It's necessary for collecting around our intention, for really establishing our intention in this moment to be with the breath, to be able to bring ourselves together, to know what our intention is and to live it out so that it becomes established in the mind. Energy is the fifth of what are called the the paramis or the perfections, these qualities that we develop that uh, are empowering to us and it certainly supports us in our practice. It's called virya, and it's uh, referred to as diligence or vigor. We've uh, said over and over again that it's, uh, that uh, the, effective, the most effective way of doing the practice is to start where you are. You remember my little silly uh, analogy of trying to start from the other side of the room when you're standing up and how you couldn't do it. We so often in our practice try to start with the mind we wish we had, with the the amount of of concentration we wished we had, rather than what we have. It takes energy to bring ourselves to, to where we are because we have a lot of resistance, the kind of resistance that Sally was talking about earlier in the retreat. We resist starting where we are. It's understandable. It's just human nature. So we bring energy along with our intent to start where we are. We intend to start right here. Right here. So there's energy that allows us to do that. It also requires a lot of energy to start over. Wandered it off. It's a good fantasy. You realize, oh, it's a fantasy, but it's such a good fantasy. Mm. <laughs> the, re- the, the energy of renunciation. The energy to do renunciation of that fantasy is a lot of energy. Yes, you have the intent to come back to the breath, but it takes a lot of energy to give up that good fantasy. I've had those fantasies. I can sometimes fill the fantasies in the room. That's both a blessing and a curse, but I, I, I respect those fantasies. And yet, the need to come back or planning, you know how you're planning some. You've had this great creative idea because you've got the concentration. So the concentration makes a, a good idea seem so much better an idea. It's the same with the fantasy. You know, so it's a romance fantasy because you're so concentrated. You may not realize this, but you're, you're as concentrated as you would be in a great movie or a great novel because you've already got this free-floating collected and unified mind, although you may not realize it. And so there you are with your fantasy and you are really dropped into your fantasy. So that's why you have to have so much energy. Uh, to come out the other side, and then just the, the uh, making that contact with the breath and staying with it, as I said, takes a lot of a lot of, of energy too. so this energy, which for our purposes tonight, I would refer to as both the potential, because you may not be applying the energy, so it 's only potential. The, both the potential energy and the capacity that you actually have. So it's potential and actual capacity being used to apply intention both immediately and through time towards your goal and your spiritual practice. So it's, the, it's, it's having the power, it's having the juice to live out what you intend to be living out. As you develop in this concentration practice, this uh, concentration of energy because you both develop energy through the concentration and as you become more concentrated, you access more energy. So it's a dual reward. That energy will become available in your mindfulness practice and available in daily life. Energy is associated with this word chanda or desire or zeal. That's a part of the idipadas these powers, and it's also associated with a word we seldom mention called samvega. Samvega is um, is like uh, it, it's it's a sense of spiritual urgency, not a desperation, not a clinging to that wrath, that life preserver, but a, a sense of like. I've been wasting my time with these other things. Oh, my! It's like we're almost embarrassed. So the urgency is, comes from a, a kind of realization of what really matters to us. It's that kind of feeling. It's not It's not uh, uh, the desperation of I'm going to die. It would be, oh, I'm going to die, and, and I've, I'm, I'm not making this a priority? That doesn't make any sense. So it's a waking up kind of urgency, not a... Uh, scared, panic kind of urgency. Energy without equanimity. When you have a lot of energy but you don't have equanimity, you, you will end up with a lot of restlessness and worry because you've got all this energy but there's nothing containing it and so the mind will look around for something to worry about, that restlessness that Sally was describing last night. And Likewise, equanimity without energy, sloth and torpor. So... Lots of times you're not necessarily have noticed it's easy for us to forget, oh, you know this this I'm not really sleepy, I'm not really tired, so what's going on here? You've got a certain degree of concentration in your mind, but the energy is not strong enough to uh to balance that out, so your your the concentration is pulling you into a kind of sleep. Energy shows up in its most viable form in terms of patience and and persistence, sometimes referred to as determination or resolve, because we need a lot of energy for patience and we need a lot of energy for persistence. Patience is this uh, energy uh, that allows us to accept what is and uh, to uh, stabilize our practice and to bring some intensity to it, even though it's not going well. So we just keep doing it. We have patience. We have the energy of patience. We can just we can stay there with the practice not going well we 're patient we 've got enough energy of patience that we can stay with it the uh, The uh, persistence is a kind of determination, and that 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 the energy of persistence allows us to start over to start over and it allows us to have uh, that strong intention to stay with. So again, it's not speed. It's this resolve that's not in any hurry because it's just this moment. I'm really, uh, uh, as best I am able, evoking the felt sense of this, this immediacy of intention. We're just practicing. We've chosen to practice. That's our reward. So a cartoon from the New Yorker, the hare is in bed with the tortoise and the hare is being the usual fast self and the tortoise says, hey, it's not a race. <laughs> so, so in our own practice, hey, it's not a race to collect and unify the mind. Not a race, not a race. As we start to look at energy, we uh, can uh, notice uh, how uh, we are doing with energy. And we can, uh, we can cultivate the energy in various ways that can help us in and, and, uh, staying with and getting to our object, the breath. One thing that I have found helpful is uh, looking at the various sources of energy for myself and my practice. And I'm going to uh, take you through uh, uh, these three sources of energy that um, others beside myself have identified, but that I have really found to be true. But in this talk, I am not talking about determining the quantity of energy or the quality of energy. there's little things about that that I have in other talks described. so you can go to Dharmaseed or Dharmawisdom.org, my own website Dharmawisdom.org and uh, listen to a, a, a more elaborate talk on energy. That will come up again towards the end of the, this talk. So three types of energy, three sources of energy. There is what I call rousing energy where we're all roused up, you know, get really wound up and ready to go. This uh, is of immediate in nature when we've got that kind of immediacy. We've been aroused. We've just charged up. If there's an immediacy to that, it overcomes lethargy that we may be having. It overcomes a dread, a laziness. It overcomes doubt. It brings a sense of purpose and priority. We remember what we're about. We're, 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 in, we're inspired by that in that way. So it, it has a, a quality of inspiring us. This can come from an inspiring teacher, in fact. You hear a Dharma talk that is, uh, is very inspiring or there is in a particular teacher's presence something that's inspiring. That certainly has been my relationship with the Venerable Ajahn Sumedho. His very presence inspires me. He doesn't have to open his mouth. I am inspired by the way he is being. Many, many people have been inspired by the Dalai Lama in that very same way. So the teacher or the particular teaching that you hear. You hear about the Four Noble Truths or or you hear about a a particular parami. You you hear about the the, the, uh, Satipatthana Sutta. You hear a particular teachings of something the Buddha said to someone in a difficult situation. And you're inspired by that and it rouses your energy. Or as as, as you've uh, realized what gives meaning to your life, as you kind of uh, you get you realize, oh, this is really meaningful to me. This feels like what I want to be doing. Just your own realization of what you care about can inspire you. A setting can inspire you. Being in this room can inspire you. The altar inspires some, not others, but some they're inspired by the altar, by the symbol of what's there. Uh, being in the beauty and stillness of nature can inspire us. Many of you have talked about that in your interviews. Your fellow practitioners sitting here can inspire you. We're all inspired by our, uh, by our sangha, by our fellow practitioners. And it's so funny, uh, we may be the one that uh, that's inspiring someone else when we feel so uninspired ourselves in a given moment. But yet, something about us may be inspiring the other. And it's not necessarily because it's going well. That courage and modesty to sit there for the 45 minutes or the hour when it's not going well, that's very inspiring. You are being inspired by others doing that, whether you are aware of it or not. But if you become aware of it, it makes it stronger. At least that's my experience. So the analogy that is used is it's like a person in water, where you're riding the wave. You're on a uh, one of those boards, you know, that you ride in the ocean, or you could be on a surfboard or one of those things you paddle with, standing up. I don't know the names of these things, but um, whatever they are, those boards that you're there. There's this immediate contact with the water, so you can you can take refuge in the Buddha, or the Dharma, or the Sangha's. I told him that story the other day, and that can inspire you. It's immediate in its nature. You're there with the water. So that's, that's one kind of energy that can help you with your practice. A second kind of energy is what I call sustaining energy. So rousing is immediate. You're all roused up. Sustaining energy is not so immediate. There, there's, it's starting in the immediate, but it's going over time. And it's much more the kind of energy that we uh, have some choice over and can work with in our own practice. So this sustaining energy overcomes chronic, chronic habits, uh, a kind of tediousness to the practice, the distractions in the practice, our feelings about our personal limitations and our, and, uh, our inadequacies and all, that whether they're real or imagined. Because we have this sustaining energy, allows us to go through those times when they're going to be so strong, so strong. You know, that's uh, I don't th- I don't think I've ever known anyone who hasn't gone through these huge periods of doubt and struggle and feel as though they've totally regressed and all. So, this sustaining energy can come from knowing our priorities. Thus. The, the, the connection to the immediacy. We get inspired and that tells us what our priorities are. And so we remember those and we reflect on them and we cultivate them. Yeah, I, I really, I get why this is a good practice for me, this Collecting Unify the Mind. And that keeps us connecting throughout the day. We remember what it is that's inspiring us. So it's worth it to remember as we go out those doors, oh, connect to the breath. Oh, as we go out the other set of doors, connect to the breath. Oh, I'm going to let my breath breathe me down to the dining hall. Now it can breathe me up the hill. Because we're remembering why we're doing this. So we can it connects us to our intention to be with the breath. Having a, uh, a wise reflection about the teachings uh, can do that. Oh, we, we remember over and over again. Yeah, this is all in the name of freeing myself from suffering. The skillful repetition of our practice sustains our energy. You build your energy by continuing to practice. You are building uh, a, a reservoir of energy. You get tired, but on a deeper level, you're building the energy. And then the times when the practice is light, you get a lot of energy, as many of you have reported. The very act of collecting and unifying the mind. The mind that is collected and unified has more energy because the energy is concentrated. It, it, it can go in a direction. A fractured energy, is, uh, it bleeds energy off everywhere. In martial arts, this is so true that if you can't collect and unify the energy, you're, you're finished before you ever start. Staying connected to what arouses and inspires you. you know, Again, looking at the altar, uh, remembering a teaching, uh, uh, having someone here in the hall that inspires you, anything that you stay connected to will sustain you over time. Uh, I'm going to skip a few here because of our time, but uh, the uh, uh, again, uh, uh, letting yourself have rest enough sleep, uh, the proper diet for yourself, attending to your emotional needs, uh, uh, sleeping a right amount for you. All of this is sustained energy. And this is where our maturity comes in. And we, we mature by seeing that if we want to sustain this practice just for this 10 days, we, we, we have to do these things that will help us sustain. So we can get all roused up and burn out. But if we do these things that sustain us, it it, it gets us through the 10 days. It's this combination of these two. So this arousing energy and then the sustaining energy. And the sustaining energy is sometimes uh, like thinking of being a sailor. So you're in a sailboat or you're in in some other kind of boat, but you you ride the tides because you've got enough, you know your experience now, you know how to take advantage of the natural sources of energy in your boat. So you're not just sort of out there in the immediacy in the water. You've got more tools now to catch the wind in your sails or whatever it may be that allows you to, um, to uh, go greater distances than you could ever go on your boogie board or whatever that is. <laughs> that, is that right? Did I say the right thing? Great. <laughs> And then there is this, uh, this third kind of energy which I refer to as mysterious or etheric energy. Not magic. Mysterious. Not understood. Not understood necessarily from its source or ex- its exact nature. And this kind of energy is what allows us to uh, uh, do what seems impossible for us. You know, we sit for an hour and a half where did the energy for that come from? I didn't believe that was possible. We sit two hours, three hours. Or we we need less sleep. Or we actually, we come across this old memory that is, it caught us every time it's ever come up. And we see that memory, and we have complete energy to dismiss it and go back to the breath. We never succeeded in doing that. How come now we have this 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 uh, movement that's so strong that I'm not interested in you, just back all these different ways that mundane and uh, beyond that uh, that it that this mysterious energy can come up, so it allows us to overcome these barriers, these limitations. It also allows us to uh, 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 have the inspiration or the quietness or the stillness or the openness where something changes in our heart or there's some capacity of mind that we've never felt before. This The mind's bright in a new way, or again, still or flexible in a way we've never known. Certainly the Buddha had this energy and affected so many others in terms of their own uh, movement towards enlightenment. It dispels a sense of separateness, this energy, because it doesn't belong to us. It's like it belongs to everyone and everywhere. Uh, it can certainly bring altered states of mind and people get seduced by that in unskillful ways but it does bring altered states of mind and uh, can also bring uh, capabilities that again can be very seductive that the Buddha over and over again uh, would show no interest in when certain of his students would demonstrate those. And it can awaken unseen possibilities in us that um, can be very energetic when we feel this possibility oh it's really possible that i could have a kind of happiness that i never believed i feel this energy in me that this is this really this is really great this is really okay i've never felt okay but feeling this energy i feel okay i feel safe it's it's no matter what happens it's okay there's a some, there's this energy that's through this uh that's from a calmness of mind or an equanimity or an open heart. It's just flowing through. It's a new kind of energy. It uh, is a kind of energy that uh, the analogy is like a, 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 a person in a submarine. You're not limited by the ordinary conditions of being on the the water itself, or even with the currents, you have this uh, this uh, mysterious power source that allows you to move in relation to the ocean, your mind, in a different way. And it can uh, and sometimes it just arises. You just feel it there. Um, it can take an ecstatic form. T. S. Eliot, when he was a freshman in college, was walking down the street in Boston. Boom went into an ecstatic state out of nowhere, he said. And so the poem I read uh, the, the, the first night about sitting in the shop in London and that happening, that was mysterious energy. It can sometimes be elicited because if you're having some sort of interaction with the teacher or the teachers talking and you just suddenly feel that energy. Uh, that, uh, people have reported that with a number of different teachers at various times. It can arise for certain practices you're doing, that it, it turns out that this brings you in contact with this, concentration practice being a good form of that. It can come from your coming in contact directly with your own sense of bodhicitta, this awakened mind heart, which can you can also think of as love, this unconditioned love. Uh, we've had that in a couple of conversations here today. That, that love, that feeling of love, that's not love based on getting anything or wanting anything, but just this, this dwelling of love. And that there's some energy to that that's very mysterious, that cannot be possessed, cannot be controlled, but can be such a source of energy in our practice, in our choices, in our having intention, our ability to have renunciation so that we can uh, live out our intentions. It can come from uh, some sort of wild intuition that you just that happens to be your nature. You've got some wild intuition. Sometimes that, that sense of that energy is there in your body or uh, in your heart or your mind. And it can come from uh, some unusual experience, some sort of trauma in our lives that happened or a near-death experience or a vision. And we felt this and it can inspire us. It can allow us to go on in our practice. It is, in fact, comes from the fruit of practice in general. All of the practice we do is putting us in in relationship to this energy that we don't quite understand, don't quite know where it comes from, but there it is. So we, uh, and then, of course, insight itself. A big insight often comes with it, a huge surge of energy. Now, exactly why that is? Hard to say, but poof. So, lots of different sources of this. We learn to balance uh, to manage our own practice over years, years, I will say it again, years, it takes to start to have some sort of way of balancing you so that you've got this immediate or arousing energy sources and you've got sustained energy and whatever fortune you have in relation to this this mysterious energy that we learn, we, that we develop that over time, this practice is so helpful And finding that you don't have to be conscious of all of this, you do not have to be conscious of it all. You are unconsciously developing your relationship with all three of these. If you are more aware of it, more appreciative of it, I think it will serve you in good stead, good stead, so that you you can uh, you're having uh, some trouble there, and, and a given sit, and so you take refuge in the Buddha or the Dharma your own ability to know the truth. You take some refuge and that gives you some immediate energy. Or you think of your friend that's been practicing longer than you and how hard he or she has worked and you're inspired by that. So you're inspired in that moment. Or you, you just pace yourself better. You realize, you know, I didn't sleep enough last night. I'd be better off taking a nap and then sitting for an hour and a half straight rather than trying to trudge through this day the way it is. So you learn. You, learn to, you, you don't have to be thinking about it, but you, you learn. And then as you bring this uh, consciousness to it, it can do better. Each of these energies have a shadow side. Each of them. The rousing energy the sustainable energy, and the mysterious energy all have a shadow side. Again, if you go to uh, Dharma Seed or DharmaWisdom.org, you can find uh, a talk that I have done about the shadow side of each of these energies. Uh, That was not our exploration tonight, because we're not looking into them for mindfulness. We're bringing all of these into play in order to, to accomplish this one very modest goal, being with the breath in just this moment. Such a modest go. As we come into this uh, relaxed attention that allows us to soften into knowing the breath, all aligned with our intention to be with the breath, there's a kind of flowering that comes. That flowering we refer to as the piti, as the sukha, and the equanimity. And it just comes of its own nature. One last poem for our ending. It's called Perfect Joy and it's by uh, Chong Su and it uh, captures this kind of natural ease. So it may not be fireworks going off in any way but there's a natural ease. We know that we're getting aligned with, uh, in our, our, our attention, that there's a feeling there of, of, of something's collected, something's unified, just a little hint of it. Perfect joy. Here's how I sum it up. Heaven does nothing. Its non-doing is its serenity. Earth does nothing. Its non-doing is its rest. From the union of these two non-doings, all actions proceed. All things are made. How vast, how invisible, this coming to be. All things come from nowhere. How vast, how invisible. No way to explain it. All beings in their perfection are born of non-doing. Hence it is said, heaven and earth do nothing, yet there is nothing they do not do. Where is the man who can attain this non-doing? Where is the person who can attain this non-doing? As we develop intention, as we bring our energy into play, as we more and more relax attention, as we more and more just be, soften in, to the experience of the breath. All of the effort becomes effortless effort. They're still doing, but the relation to it is this effortless effort. Let's sit for a moment. Breathing into this moment, intending to be with the breath in this moment, knowing you intend to be with the breath, being committed to your intention, bringing energy to your intention, the stillness of that relationship. T.S. Eliot says it this way, neither from nor towards At the still point, there the dance is, but neither arrest nor movement, and do not call it fixity, where past and future are gathered, neither movement from nor towards, neither ascent nor decline, except for the point, the still point, there would be no dance, and there is only the dance. Thank you for your kind intention. We've got about 25 minutes for walking. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.